up this phase. Just trying to holler at y'all and see what's going on. Had a lot on my mind reminiscing, trying to figure out these things that are going on my mind. Trying to figure out some puzzles. I'm not here to start nothing. I ain't trying to start nothing. Just got some things that I want to get done. Some things that I want to get solved. Some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and to get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So if you get time, just holler at me. I'm reminiscing all in my room. Just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day. And thank you for coming in and listening to me. Thanks. I'ma keep it like an island boy. I'ma keep it like an island boy. I'm just trying to make it. And I'm an island boy. I'ma keep it like an island boy. I'm an island boy. I'm just trying to make it. And I'm an island boy. I'ma keep it like an island boy. These streets keep calling me. They don't want me to leave the light behind. Staring at the stars, wishing I had the time. But my kids need food and my girl needs me. Sometimes I dream that I'm finally free So baby, don't play me, I ain't no toy I'm a prisoner here, but I still make noise And I'm a child that I'm bowing with all my boys I'm a street kid now, but one day I'll be an island boy I'm just trying to make it, I'm an island boy Island boy, I'm an island boy Fam, what's up? I wanna this is this is one of the wicked woman working for the wicked man. She's a speaker of the house, supposed to be speaking to white folks about what's going on. She messing, she a lesbian, messing with a Caucasian woman. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And in order to sit in one of those high seats. You have to dance the dance of the wicked. Let's analyze and hear what this handkerchief, no good Negro say. Let's analyze. Uh, on Niger, any uh, update on uh, President Bazoum's condition? The White House fear that any trial by the military might be a pretext for his execution. So we condemn the detention of President uh, Bazoum, his family and members of the government, as well as the unacceptable conditions under which they are being held. Uh, we always raise the importance of President Bazoum and his family's well-being and safety in both public and private communications. And we continue to urge for their immediate for their immediate safe release. The United States will hold the Council for the Safeguard of the Homeland accountable for the safety and the security of President Bazoum, his family, and detained members of his government. Uh, and we'll continue to be consistent on that. I know that you, were, you were also asking me about the, the trial, right, uh, for treason of the, of the president uh, in Niger. We are, we are obviously shocked and we are also appalled uh, by these reports uh, that the CNSP has gone beyond, beyond unlawful detain, detain 
detaining President Bazoum and others uh, to threaten uh, to thre threatening prosecutions. Uh, this action is unwarranted and unjustified and will not contribute to peaceful resolutions of the crisis. And in, in its, it is further in a, an affront of democracy and, just, and ju justice and to respect uh, the rule of law. Such threats underscore the urgency of respecting constitutional order in Niger. And so we continue to call uh, for the respect of democratic principles, human, human rights, and the rule of law. So in Niger, any... Uh... See, she, she was reading from the script. Human rights. How can a Caucasian man talking about human rights, fam? Tell me what his ancestors did to my ancestors, what they doing around the world. They talking about human rights. And this clown is reading from the script, trying to make sure whatever, 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 whatever. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. Let's analyze. You arrived here as settlers in 1652. It's a historical fact. And you were using uh, South Africa uh, as a refreshment station. You were not here uh, to settle. You were uh, passing. Because of, of our Africanness and the spirit of Ubuntu, we have embraced you and we have shared our land with you. And we have accepted that you have naturalized in this country. But it doesn't change the fact that you came here as a visitor. And not blacks. Not blacks. We came from one country called Africa. No, no. South Africa is Africa. We are one country called Africa. This South Africa you are talking about was imposed on us. So we didn't come from anywhere. Speak for yourself. We didn't come from anywhere. There's no African who came from anywhere. We came from here. I mean, my Lord, I cannot come from the second uh, bedroom in this house and then I find you in another bedroom in the same house and then you say I came from somewhere. In the same house. I didn't come from somewhere. I was sleeping on the other side. We are here. So we are not visitors. We didn't come from anywhere. Not as a beggar and 
uh, the big brother supplier. No, we will relate with the European Union. It's a necessary body. We'll relate with it. We'll respect it. And the respect must be mutual and will engage on what is in the interest of our countries, not what is in the interest of the European Union. We're in a mess now. We've decommissioned uh, our power stations because uh, countries like the USA, uh, like the UK have said to us, no, do away with these things. We are going to introduce uh, green energy. Yes, the money and all of that. People took the money. There is no electricity today. So we ought to relate as equals so that no one imposes their ideas on us. We are people that subscribe. An anthropologist proposed a game to children in an African tribe. He put a basket full of fruit near a tree and told the children that whoever got there first won the sweet fruits. When he told them to run, they all took each other's hands and ran together, then sat together enjoying their treats. When he asked them why they had run like that when one could have had all the fruits for himself, they said, Ubuntu, how can one of us be happy if all the other ones are sad? In Africa, there is a concept known as Ubuntu, the profound sense that we are human only through the humanity of others, that if we are to accomplish anything in this world, it will in equal measure be due to the work and achievements of others. Nelson Mandela, Soul of Gaia. Yes. Do you think aligning yourself with Vladimir Putin is going to be good for South Africa? But that's what it is now. South Africa is in alliance with Russia, with India, with Brazil, with China. So why are you asking me as if it's some policy that is going to be implemented South Africa right after now. I took over? South Africa is in alliance with Russia now. South Africa right now calls itself non-aligned. In the context of the war, but these are two different things. South Africa is an ally of Russia. Now, the second question is, where does South Africa stand on the war? It says I'm a non-aligned in relation to war, but Russia remains South Africa's friend. So we cannot create confusion around there. Don't create an impression that it is Malema who's going to come and create an alliance with Russia. But there are some very specific Actually, if, I will if go, I may I will say go so. beyond that. I will go beyond the, the friendship with Russia and in the war, I will align with Russia and I will even supply the weapons to Russia. Because Russia is in a war with, with imperialism and any agenda that seeks to push back uh, imperialist agendas is well within the policies of the EFF. You say quite clearly, I would arm Vladimir yes. Putin. Yes. You know that the International Criminal Court wants Vladimir Putin to face war crimes charges. It must start with Tony Blair. It must start with George Bush. It must go to Barack Obama. Then it can go to uh, so, so let's get this so straight. You're saying to me and that and your, the, your policy, if you were in power in South Africa, is quite simple. That your enemy's enemy, and it seems you regard the US and its allies as the enemy, yes. your enemy's enemy yes. is your friend. Never mind if he's a suspected war criminal. Never mind if the UN and the ICC say they have compelling evidence of Russian war crimes. You don't care. As far as you're concerned, my enemy's enemy no, is you, my friend. You, you, you're exaggerating, but, but another point which you don't want me to go there is that 
um, Tony Blair accepted that they were wrong about Saddam Hussein uh, to an extent that he did uh, an apology of a thug, right? You, you have never called for his arrest. A man admitting that I, I was wrong uh, uh, to how many people died independent sovereign existence he appears to believe that the best thing would be to revive an empire the soviet empire but you're anti-imperialist well we are anti-imperialist that's a debate for another day ah. in the war is not what he's took the war is about the expansion and had there been a, a, a common ground found this could have been avoided we are not for imperialism even if it were to come from russia if he does that we'll condemn it but we know for a fact that progressive forces such as China have also aligned themselves uh, with Putin to try and create an alternative from the imperialist uh, domination of the world. And that's what the EFF is about. You admire China. You admire, it seems, Putin. What you seem to have as a vision for South Africa's future is much more along those lines, authoritarianism. Than democracy. No, socialism is not authoritarianism. So, so how can you describe China as progressive? No, it's very progressive. China uh, subscribed to Leninism and Marxism, where uh, the working class control the commanding heights uh, of the economy, and that's what we subscribe for. We are of the means of production being owned and controlled by the state. We want South Africa through the vision and the image of China, where you grow the economy, where you reduce unemployment, where you reduce poverty, and you can't take that away from China. And the state plays the central role with regard to that. That kind of message and the messaging on Russia has seen the rand plunge against I the US dollar. <laughs> we, we, hang on, we see many corporations in South Africa looking at establishing headquarters elsewhere. We see foreign direct investment flatlining in this country. Do you believe that the rhetoric you are using is good for the South African economy? I've been doing this from when you interviewed me 15 years ago, when I was young. And therefore you can't say the uh, rent to dollar crisis uh, today is created by this message that I've been spreading for for so many years, from my early ages, and then this. No, but what I'm suggesting is that the new party. tensions between Washington and the government in South Africa have definitely affected the financial markets. No, it was the uh, the crisis as we see it today, as we have this conversation, me and you. Uh, it was worsened by the irresponsible utterances by the ambassador of the USA who just recklessly, without following the uh, proto uh, proto diplomatic protocols, uh, went mm. out to set, make certain allegations our, about our country, damaging its good image, and then undermining its sovereignty in terms of choosing who its friends are. And today, we see the rent being weak because of such utterances. Why would uh, the rent be weakened by a political uh, posture? That says, this is what we want to uh, uh, be when we take over government. We want a government that will be owned by the corrupt free. I admire China when it comes to how it deals with crime. 
I admire China when it comes to how it deals with infrastructural development. I admire China on how it has dealt with poverty and unemployment. How would that weaken the rent? Is that not what the investors want for all of us? The most likely way that you can get a grip on some power in this country is by forming a coalition with the ANC after the next election. You could have a role if you were to do a deal with the ANC. Are you ready to do it? The reality is that the EFF is the only organization that is growing and that the DA and the ANC, the DA, which is the official opposition, yeah. ANC, which is the ruling party, are both significantly declining to a point where the DA called us the enemy number one. Why did they do so? Their own internal research tells them that the EFF has overtaken you. That's how much our policy position has attracted the people of South Africa. We are not going into coalition for positions. We are going to say anyone who wants to work with us, and we've said this before, and that's why we're not working with anyone in the local governments. If you want to work with us, you're going to expropriate land without compensation. You're going to nationalize the mines. You're going to establish a state-owned bank. You're going to make sure that we fight crime fire by fire to make this country a safer place. Those are just but minimal, non-negotiable uh, points that will engage with anyone. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. On that basis, it's hard to imagine you can make a coalition with anyone. ANC was more than willing. Actually, ANC was at a point of signing with us on expropriation of land without compensation. Remember, we even put this in Parliament. How did it pass to a point where Parliament had to do an investigation if the ANC was not agreed? We were almost at the edge of getting a deal. And some young uh, ANC clowns uh, decided to uh, uh, vote against this. But we're not going to retreat in retaining the land back into the hands of our people. Okay, it was, it was black women being raped, but they can be raped. This advance forward. Before we get into um, the Casual Killing Act, the Casual Killing Act was written uh, because of the number of people who were killed by, while being corrected. Okay. And if any slave resists his master, owner, or other person by his or her order, correcting such slave and shall happen to be killed in such correction, it shall not be counted felony, but the master, owner, and every other person so giving correction shall be acquitted of all punishment and accusation for the same as if such accident had never happened. So that means that if you happen to be correcting someone and you beat them to death, you know how hard it is to beat someone to death? I mean, I thought about that. I said it happened so frequently that they created a law so that you wouldn't feel any what? No guilt because you were simply correcting them. It wasn't your fault. So I went back to look at who was beating folks to death. I wanted to know. And it was white women. White women were beating black children to death. That's who was being beaten to death. But she, it wasn't her fault. She was just correcting them. You see, what we do is we rob ourselves of our own humanity when we refuse to look at this stuff. We rob ourselves of our humanity. And that's what people didn't know happened. Going forward, one more. Then you had the mental health folks. This is how we got in. We got in to try to fix it. In the early years of the 19th century, a physician named Samuel A. Cartwright argued that two particular forms of mental illness caused by nerve disorders were prevalent among slaves. One was drapedomania, which was diagnosable by a single symptom, 
the uncontrollable urge to escape from slavery. So now what we've done is we've now pathologized your desire to be free. Must be something wrong with them. Keep, keep trying to free themselves. And again, it would be funny if it weren't in journals. You see, all of this is to remove the cognitive dissonance. Now we have, look at all the people joining in. You got Linnaeus, you got anthropology, you got physicians. All of them saying they deserve it. It's not us. We don't need to adjust anything. And if they just tried harder, how about you people just pull yourselves up from your bootstraps? What's the matter with you? The playing field has been leveled. Well, we're going to see if in fact it's been leveled. Or is that conjecture? Move forward. Now I want you to look at this photo very closely and I want you to see who's in it. More important than the man hanging because you got to understand the lynchings that occurred in America happened after slavery, not during. Thousands of lynchings happened after slavery because this is a reaction to white fear of what we would do once freed. But we didn't create a vigilante group to take out white people, but they did create a vigilante group to take us out now that we're free. See, that happened after slavery. They were called the what? The Ku Klux Klan. They don't wear hoods anymore. They wear suits. But they're alive and well all over the world, even here. So look at who's in the picture. I want you to put, look at this little girl in particular. You can't see her closely, but She's actually grimacing, like smirking. Now, remember, let's go back to the puppy concept here. She would be loathed and torn up probably if this was a puppy, which means he's less than that. And she's not disturbed. This little girl is not, is not disturbed by this, but she should be, shouldn't she? People always ask me, they go, Joy, what was the impact on white people? There it is, right there. Can't feel any empathy for him. None, zero zip. There's a little one. So she's talking about, she's showing a picture of this little white girl looking at this black man being hung. And she looking at it with a smirk, saying that they don't even have no empathy for what's going on. That's why I say, the Caucasian man and the Caucasian woman is so less. Let's analyze. I care even smaller. Because whatever she's been taught or told, socialized to believe, makes him no longer human. That's the greatest danger to white people is that they can't feel it. And there's a reason why white people can't feel what we're talking about. My God, what would you then feel? It's tough. So I've got to believe, oh, it's all over now. It's not my fault. I don't benefit. It's not a big deal. Let's move on. It's not all of those things. But we don't say that to Jewish people. I dare you. But you have to understand, when you unearth this one, that's what we did to our children. Let's move forward. This is a similar photo to the one that uh, is used in 
um, Denzel's movie. Now, and again, most important, this is a man that's being burned. Also, I won't read the depiction, but there are newspaper accounts of this. It's written in a book called 100 Years of Lynching by Ginsburg. No pictures, just newspapers that say not only did they burn him, they decapitated him, cut him into pieces and used parts of his body as things to put on mantles. So people would say, get me a tongue, would you? Or a liver, a little crisp, so I could put it on the mantle. Now, again, I want you to look at the folks. I want you to look at... <laughs> Ooh! Ooh the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. You can't make this up, y'all. Let's analyze. Who's here? We're not talking about the toothless, big gut, hooded wonder, are we? We're looking at plain old, common, dressed up folks. They're squeezing, please, I want my picture taken. Are you following me? This is somebody's cousin, uncle, somebody. And the ability to do that, dehumanize this man and rob them of their humanity. So you see that. That's why I say, y'all, the Caucasian men do all this stuff to our brothers and sisters, right? And then they all huddle up and want to take a picture, a pose picture like they don't want a Super Bowl or they in a concert or they done made a million, uh, million dollars. These are the mindset of Caucasian men and Caucasian women. This happened, so they so not, that's why I say they are heartless people, man. They don't have a soul. They don't have empathy in them. All they do is create evil, havoc, and throw a lot of folly out. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. They cover the judges thereof. If it's not the Caucasian man, then who is it? And where are they at? Let's analyze. Are you following me? This is really important. No, it just it just mutated into something else. So now we have to figure out a way within the legal perspective to deal with these women who are out of control. My cautious guess is that 5% of America's cops are on the prowl for women. Women, you need to get concerned. 5% of any police department, in other words, they're folks who become police officers because they're predatory. That's why. Think about it. We know where pedophiles go, don't we? You go where there are children. Thank you. So we got to understand police officers, plenty of them are twisted. And I've worked for the last 20 years with police officers. Trust me. I'm always concerned about someone that deliberately wants a gun, aside from the short man. In a department the size of Seattle's, that's 63 police officers. In San Diego, 145. In New York City, 2,000. The average patrol cop makes anywhere from 10 to 20 unsupervised contacts a shift. If he's on the mate, chances are a predatory cop will find you or your wife, your partner, your daughter, your sister, your mother, your friend. That's in general. And you see, you get a freebie when you have a person of color because they have no rights. 
It is not hard to understand why people of color, the poor and younger Americans did not and do not look upon the police as quote theirs. Compare and contrast, are the police as an institution known for their protection of the innocent against deception or do they deceive the innocent? Do the police protect the weak against oppression or intimidation or do they oppress and intimidate the very people they've sworn to protect? Again, we're not talking about anybody that just fell off a truck. We're talking about a 34-year police veteran who went back, by the way, to get his PhD. Now, this was a study I did, the research I did. Now, let me explain kind of the, the basis of this research. 200 African-American male youth, 100 of whom are incarcerated, right? 100 of whom are not, but are from the same neighborhood. That was my uh, the, the, the group that I was working with. So one of the things that I wanted to do over here on the right side, what you see is my uh, dependent variable, what I'm trying to predict. And what I'm trying to predict is the use of violence. So what I discovered was the most significant predictor of African-American adolescent violence. When I did the multiple, in other words, I put all the variables together to see out what was most significant. The baseline variables of witnessing and victimization, we already know they're gonna fall fall out because they're baseline, we already know that, was respect. The most important predictor, respect. Think about that. How do you get respect as African-American male, period, but a male youth 16 in your society? How does he get respect? Gotta get it though, because he's not gonna roll up in a corner and ball and die somewhere. He needs to get respect. And as black people, I say this all the time out in here, that we can ill afford to swallow whole what is called cultural. We can ill afford to swallow that because there's poison in the cookies. And the only way to get the poison out of the cookies is not someone from the outside looking in, but those who are living in this to be able to look at themselves and assess it with a level of dignity, a level of safety that perpetuates a sense of, a sense of well-being and healing. Thank you so much. So let's get into how this fear impacts criminal justice. Because if white people in this room are afraid of black people, guess who else is afraid of black people? Only they have guns. So now let's look at what he said. Simply put, white cops are afraid of black men. We don't talk about it. We pretend it doesn't exist. We claim colorblindness. We say white officers treat black men the same way they treat white men, but that's a lie. And here's a big one. In fact, the bigger, the darker the black man, the greater the fear. Any big black men in here? You got a big old bullseye on you, even if you got the suit on. And it's the truth because we statistics bear it out. The African community knows this. Hell, most whites know it. Yet even though it's essential, if not the defining ingredient in the makeup of police racism, white cops won't admit it to themselves or to others. He goes on to talk about actually learning it in the academy. Norm Stamper, he told on everybody. He had folks indicted. He now lives in a cabin on a mountain somewhere in the San Juan Islands. That's where he lives. Nobody knows where he lives because he knows they're coming after him and they have. This is a statement from the book also. Race and class discrimination are all too real in every phase of the criminal justice system, from arrest to sentencing impoverished black defendants, and this is gonna sound familiar to you, 
are far more likely to wind up on death row than richer middle-class whites or the 3,000 of the 3,700 inmates now awaiting execution nationwide 43 percent are african-american black defendants are not accorded the same due process rights as whites their cases are not given the same scrutiny and consideration afforded a white defendant not now not ever not in this country this is what the man said it was dismal but he doesn't believe it's possible in the current system. So what we have to realize, we need to be realistic about that. So what I have to do is teach my sons how to navigate this, do I not? Doesn't matter what I think and no baby, you know, we are the world. No, this is real. You do have a bullseye on you. When, you, when you're in the, in the elevator with the only white woman there and you're the big black man, she's clutching her purse and she's worried. That's a reality. And if you startle her too much, it used to mean you get lynched. Matter of fact, I think she could scream right now and you'd get taken down. Now this is interesting because this has to do with women. You know, my father used to say, if a white man has a cold, a black man has pneumonia. And if a black man has pneumonia, a black woman has cancer. It just kind of figures out that way. In 1986, on-duty California Highway Patrol Officer Craig Payer strangled a San Diego State University student named Kara Knott and threw her body off a 70-foot bridge. Motive, she'd resisted his sexual advances. Now let's go back and understand that, and this is an interesting thing, I worked with adolescent, adult, male and female prostitutes for five years. And once you get that confused, I'm not an ex-hoe. I've actually had people say, gosh, she's come along. You know, she used to be, she's done so well. So somehow when I say that, people think I'm, I've never been in the life. Okay, I work with adolescent, adult, male and female prostitutes um, as a case manager counselor. Okay, and during that time um, that I worked uh, with folks, it was very interesting to see the perspectives and the behaviors and the attitudes that people had uh, about about prostitutes. I mean, when folks want to be, if you want to start off as a serial killer, just go kill the prostitutes. Nobody cares. I mean, they don't even invest. CSI don't investigate the the prostitutes' slayings, right? But when we we begin to see what's been happening with particularly women of color, you know, just historically, women of color have been fodder for white men. Now, what started in the in the in the backwoods or in the cabin with the slaves? It never went away, you know. And I want, I want to speak to this because this is a tough one to swallow too. But imagine, they did a, they did a study back in the, um, in the, actually in the 80s. And they asked men, cross the board, cross races, if you could get away with sexually assaulting a woman, raping a woman, in other words, and there's no possible way that you'll get, you know, penalized for it. Do you ever get, would, would, how many of you would consider doing it? This is regular Joe, go to work with the kids, 70%, 70 said if I could do it, I would do it. Imagine being able to do that for a couple hundred years with impunity. Imagine, you don't have to worry about, you know, you talk about pedophilia and all that. Imagine being able to buy that. And then you could beat it to death too and get another one. I know it's tough to wrap your head around, but what happens to an appetite created like that? Where you could rape a black woman anytime you wanted to and it wasn't considered rape because she was promiscuous. Hundreds of years, we're not talking about a few years, hundreds of years protected by the law. 
no moral, you could go to church, it was all good. Where do you think that went after slavery ended? It didn't go away, because guess who's the number one? You got folks who are pimping the women, and then you got the ones that are buying them. And who's buying them? Same middle-aged white males between 35 and 60, married with children. I, five years I worked with them. These are the Johns. Still are the Johns. And still are getting hold of some of that black body. See, that's why I be trying to explain to black women about this situation right here. And they act like this shit is not real, yo. And then I see Black, oh, I don't see nothing wrong with the white man. The white man is the devil. He do devilish stuff. The Bible said the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. They cover the judges thereof. If it's not the white man, the Caucasian man, and the Caucasian woman, then tell me who it is and where they at. I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on their wrong. The police could kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass don't wanna hear the truth, try to act offended, shit pitiful. If I was you, I'd be miserable. This war we fighting is spiritual. In other words, I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork. My words fly like darts work, specifically designed to hit the target. They don't even wanna teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless. I might not change the world, but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started. Many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this, but the peace to Marcus. Got my eyes behind the scope, and I ain't taking number headshots. I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock. How many people think they understand what racism is? Show of hands. Come on, you know, you, 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 you think you know. I'm not suggesting I know. I just have a couple of definitions that uh, that kind of came to me as I thought about. How many people think there are white racists? That there are white racists out there? How many think there are black racists out there? Okay. Now, this is an interesting thing because this becomes important as we begin to define concepts. I do that. I usually define concepts um, all the, all the way. But one of the things that I, I do is I try to help people get a picture of what I mean by, by racism. So tell me how it is. I'm going to first category is white racism. Then we'll deal with black racism. So white racism. Tell me the ways in which white racism adversely impacts the lives of black people. Just what are the ways that white racism can adversely impact the lives of black people as a group? 
What are some of those ways? I'm sorry. Power, but how is that defined specifically? Education, okay. I'm sorry. Economically employment. What else? Housing. What else? Policing. Why are we here today? Healthcare. Okay. Now, we can actually kind of grow that list. Now we're going to move over to black racism. Tell me the ways in which black racism adversely impacts the lives of white people as an entire group. Thank you. The reason why you become silent, there's one that always comes up and that's fear. White people are afraid of black people. They are afraid of us. And it's a very interesting thing because black people know it. We know white people are afraid, but you have to start getting into the psychology. What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid? But it's an interesting dynamic. Now, also you see the difference in what racism is, do you not? Racism implies you have not just prejudice, but the power to do something with that prejudice. Now, I don't like you, not only that, but I'm gonna control whether you can get, you know, I may say I hate you. I hate white people. I hate them, I hate them. It's not gonna change you getting that, you know, loan. <laughs> when you go to the bank, you can go, you can hate, I can hate you all the way to the bank. Not gonna change. You see the difference? That whereas white racism says, not only do I not like you, but I'm gonna change the, the impact of where you can live. I'm going to determine with that racism where, where your powers are. You following me? And I'm talking about as a group, not an individual, because people said, I remember when my uncle didn't, I'm not talking about your uncle. I'm talking about the whole group. I'm not talking about an incident. That's a difference. But white people, are, they're criminals. Don't they deserve it? Do you see what I'm saying? So when did it end? Is a question. Move forward. You all heard about Katrina, yes? Yeah. See, I was there. <laughs> My family's from Louisiana. I went to the Ninth Ward. Sometimes you can't pay attention to what the news says. It's important to actually go eyeball what's going on, which was very interesting because it was one of the most horrific events I'd ever seen and probably will ever see in my life. Well, black folks were just simply treated differently. Did you notice that? Here's the good news about Katrina. Everybody noticed it. So all the rest of the world where we learn, send us your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, your democracy, your equality. They said, what happened with that Katrina thing? All that stuff y'all talked about. Well, let me read this. This is from Associated Press taken straight from the newspaper. In the front, actually, the top part here is actually a woman, but they think it's a man. Anyway, it says, a young man walks through chest deep flood water after looting a grocery store in New Orleans on Tuesday, August 30th, 2005. Same body of water down here, excuse me. Two residents wade through chest deep water after finding bread and soda from a local grocery store. Now, same event. Same water, white people, black people. We've told you what you see now. That removes your what? Distance, because these people can't be perceived as looting. They're white people. White people don't loot. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't care what any of them are doing. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to steal the social conscience by letting you know, don't forget, this is a looter. Matter of fact, what you last heard was that they were looters and rapists. Did you not? 
So don't they deserve it? That wasn't back in, oh, I don't know, slavery though, was it? Now we're going to kind of move into operationalizing that to look at what is it, how does it, how do we begin to uh, connect that, that behavior, those, that history to what we're dealing with and what you're dealing with right now and what we're seeing. And very often people say, well, is everything post-traumatic slave syndrome? Obviously that, that would, you know, trivialize all the work. You know, we cannot lay squarely on the shoulders of post-traumatic all the problems that we see, we see nor can we uh, place all the problems squarely on the shoulders of white people or any of the above. So hopefully we won't um, digress into anything that is that foolish in terms of a discussion. Because, you know, it, that's another thing that happens in terms of trying to, to deal with the pushback around this. Uh, then we move into extremes and it tends to dilute the realities that are going on. So um, uh, hopefully we're way beyond all that. Well, now she's saying everything is post-traumatic. No, I'm not. Um, and most of my work, uh, my background is really in the field, doing, um, you know, doing work in the community and grassroots. That's where my, my training was in terms of my clinical work. And just, you know, the fact that I've always been, uh, this work started on the ground. It didn't start here. Matter of fact, the attention, I got the attention of places like Oxford and Harvard and, you know, the um, Ivy League and major institutions, even, even the, uh, the FBI, you know, but those were things that happened after um, I did started doing the work on the grassroots level. Um, and so it's for me, my, my commitment is to healing. So this is not an, an exercise uh, in some kind of broad intellectual esoteric. It's really about how do we then take this information and help a person extricate themselves from uh, behavior that they've learned and or been socialized to believe black and white and everyone in, in the middle that's been affected by this. Um, what do we do? So this is kind of looking at the contemporary uh, kind of reflection of the trauma uh, which is white, white supremacy and terrorism that continues. We, we see that on a daily basis in the United States as well as, as here. Uh, this book is called um, Breaking Rank by Norm Stamper. Norm Stamper is a 34-year police veteran. He was a chief of police for the cities of San Diego and Seattle. This is a white man wrote this book called Breaking Rank, and he really did. So all I can tell you is he broke rank. I've been trying to meet Norm. Norm travels quite a bit and he gets a considerable uh, amount of uh, death threats because of what he's done. But he talked about, and this is contemporary. And remember, that's what we're looking at. How does it reflect itself today? I've heard some police officers refer to prostitute slayings or to the slayings of blacks as misdemeanor murders, employing an unofficial code for them, NHI, which means no human involved. These are on telephone calls. These are on calls that you hear on police officers speaking. Hey, what do you have? Well, we have an NHI. We have no human involved. It's a black person killed. You see what I'm saying? Again, the dehumanization reflecting itself in just their casual involvement with one another. San Diego cops confessed to a myriad other acts of discrimination, including additionally dehumanizing the references to blacks on a radio call, just an 1113 nigger. 1113 is a code for an injured animal all at the same time. That is the most dangerous, treacherous thing that could happen. What did Hitler do? He dehumanized human beings, put babies in ovens. Anything that robs us of our humanity is a danger to everyone. 
And that is what's going on with people of African descent all over the world, because not only did it get done here, but who did we tell the entire world we told these people don't deserve any value? Everyone wants to be American, not y'all. But when we go, I mean, I literally go to countries all over the world. America sets the standard and thank God for what happened later. Let's move forward. So a lot of people start saying, well, y'all got free, right? Y'all are free, everything's fine. (laughs) See, whenever you talk about post-Mac slave syndrome, people get locked there. So there's a myth that after slavery ended, the playing field was leveled, was it? Remember all the lynchings occurred after slavery. That wasn't during, after slavery. So you had black sharecropping. Now, we didn't get a lot of black history in our schooling. I have four degrees and three of them advanced degrees. Never did I get black history. I got about two pages of black history and one of them, what page was a picture? And there was a picture of little folks with the cabin. You probably saw the same pictures, a little cabin the little guy on the porch with the banjo, little children running, frolicking about eating watermelon, right? Everybody happy? And we certainly need little Mary and little little Johnny to believe that they were, they were happy. <laughs> the slaves were happy people. And they had nice place to live because we couldn't have them feeling cognitive what? Not little Mary. She can't start questioning what grandpa did. So I want you to see this because those are leftover slave quarters. He's a sharecropper. So now let's go back and take a look at sharecropping. Now these are folks that were slaves, no longer slaves, decided I'm going back to be a sharecropper on the same plantation that I was enslaved. Why would you do that? Let's move forward. Here's why, because when you did try to leave, and you go north, because you're free. I want you to go north now. I live in Oregon, right? That's where I live. Here we go. No free Negro mulatto not residing in this state at the time of the adoption of this constitution shall come reside or be within this state or hold any real, real estate or make any contracts or maintain any suit therein. And the legislative assembly shall provide by penal laws for the removal by public officers of all such Negroes and mulattoes and for their effectual exclusion from the state and for the punishment of persons who shall bring them into the state or employer harbor them. This was repealed November 3rd, 1926. My father was alive. Section six, that if any free Negro mulatto shall fail to quit the country as required by this act, if guilty upon trial shall receive upon his or her back, not less than 20, no more than 39, we'll beat you. That if any free Negro Malala shall fail to quit the country within the term of six months after receiving such stripes, he or she shall again receive the same punishment over once every six months until he or she shall quit the country. We're going to beat you till you leave. But you're free. The playing field is leveled. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Are you following me? So he went back to the plantation. Let's go back. He went back to the plantation to be a sharecropper because that's the only place he could live. But he can't read or write because it was illegal to educate a slave. So I'm illiterate. I go back and I say to the slave owner, who past slave owner, okay, now I'm coming back to work for a fair wage. 
because I'm free. And the slave owner says, sure, you can come back. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to advance you seed, tool, and a mule. In other words, you know, I am going to um, give you that grant <laughs> that you want. And we're going to let you work with that. And at the end of the year, we'll settle up. Well, the grant's never enough, is it? And so at the end of the year, he's found owing. And what must he do to pay off that debt? He's got to work it off, yes. And his children have to work it off, yes. That's called debt servitude or another form of slavery. But you all are free. What are you whining about? Let's move forward. Move forward. So, well, can we lease them? Now, everybody wants to know big issue. You have overrepresentation here. Guess how I know. Overrepresentation in the criminal justice system as its ideology. It was big business then. It's big business now. You're going to get free labor one way or another. New slavery is imprisonment. Well, let's see. Why was this? It was so successful by the mid-1898, nearly three-quarters of Alabama's total state revenue came directly from this institution. Well, of course, I wanted to do research on what they did because they're free. But now we're arresting them at alarming rates. And for what? 12 years for vagrancy, loitering, startling a white woman looking menacingly at a white woman. That's what they got 10, 12, 15 years for. And many of them, 25% died under convict lease more than during slavery because there were no protections because now we have another label to justify our behavior towards them. And what's their new label? Well, after all, they're convicts. So when you start looking at the notion of requiring less sleep, that's an interesting thing because I have to believe if I work you that hard. And boy, I I got humbled when I found out how hard folks worked in the sugar plantations. Ooh wee, I got humbled by how hard folks in the Caribbean were worked. But what I decided to do is I looked at the Library of Congress, most of my work over the nine years that it took to write the book, Six years of that was research. The other part of it had to do with doing um, interviews of elders and reading slave narratives. And there are thousands of them. This is just one taken from the Library of Congress. Sarah Gudger from North Carolina wrote, never known nothing but work, never knew rest, felt like my back was going to break. Just the gospel truth. Then I looked at uh, what happened in the sugar plantations. And this was amazing. One final set of grim numbers underlines the way slaves on sugar plantations like Codrington, uh, was a plantation in Barbados, were systematically worked to an early death. When slavery ended in the United States, slaves imported over the centuries had grown to a population of nearly 4 million. When it ended in the British West Indies, total slave imports of well over 2 million left a surviving slave population of only about 670,000. More than twice as many slaves were shipped to the island of Jamaica alone than all 13 uh, North American colonies combined. The Caribbean was a slaughterhouse. In fact, the reason why there was more importation of slaves to these plantations is because they died so frequently. They were treated so badly, ate so poorly, that females never reached their menstrual cycles. 
they never actually started their menstrual cycles, so they couldn't reproduce, you see. And so many of them died, they had to import more. That's how treacherous was, you lazy black folks that you are. Isn't that ironic, though? What's so ironic is black people run from the shame of feeling like they're perceived as lazy. I, I mean, I live with that so much that when I would go to hotels, I would leave it cleaner. Because <laughs> your mother, everybody's mother taught you, leave it cleaner than you found it. So black folks are so hypersensitive, I was cleaning up the hotel room. Because I wouldn't want anyone to think I'm dirty. Right? Now, all the people in the audience that are of color, how much harder did your parents tell you you had to work to get to even? How much harder? You had to work twice as hard. Now, how come I knew that about you? How come I knew that? Think about it. And yet, at the same time, white people think we're lazy, you see? But we're so hypersensitive because of the shame, right? And then our ancestors will work to death, to death. Recently, they unearthed a slave cemetery. They unearthed actually a slave uh, cemetery in um, New York City. It's on Wall Street, by the way, in the shadow of the bull. Unearthed a slave cemetery. And they still, to this day, they're struggling. They recently, you know, have done a lot in terms of commemoration. I went to the, it took me everything to get to it. They had it blocked off so you couldn't get to it. But they, because they didn't want to deal with it. You know, you can't just bulldoze a cemetery. So here in all these skyscrapers in the middle of it is this little cemetery. And there are slaves in that cemetery. More important than that was what the bones told us. Because, you know, now, you know, you got CSI. Hell, I can go in there and tell you what's going on now. You know, so with the CSI thing, now, I, you know, they, they've discovered a little bit about the bones. And to me, the most phenomenal thing about the bones is what they told us about those people and how they live. Majority of the people in there were children, infants and children, high mortality, infant mortality rate. They even know what they died of. Died of uh, malnutrition and starvation because they could tell by the rotting of the teeth and the jawline. So even though they most likely grew food, they weren't allowed to eat it. And then they found something even more peculiar that speaks to this idea of why he believed we required less sleep. They would show a large frame man and they would find an injury where the muscle actually detached itself from the bone as a result of exertion and not injury. Stay with me. It, it detaches itself from the bone as a result of exertion. That means you work so hard, the muscle detached itself from the bone. You don't see those kind of injuries in contemporary society because no one's going to work that hard. Unless, of course, you have a gun trained on you from sunrise to sunset. So we do have empirical evidence of how hard folks worked. Then he went on to say that we were dumb, cowardly, and incapable of feeling grief. Why would Thomas Jefferson need to believe that? Why would he need to believe we didn't feel grief? What was he doing, do you think, that produced cognitive dissonance? You were killing people? Not only were you killing people, beating them, you were selling them, yes? Selling mothers away from their children and husbands away from wives. And surely they don't feel it. Because if they felt it, that would make them human like me. So I simply say, and you see, it's not so much, not, it's not even so much that he said it, but he was an important person. 
if Joe nobody said it, but he said it. So what do you think the rest of the folks, uneducated uh, laborers believed? Well, they don't feel grief, you know. After all, Thomas Jefferson says they don't. So he becomes a critical person in making those statements. But you see, it was all to relieve and to settle the conscience that he died with. That hand in hand with the behavior was a mindset that is so damaging. You see, I call it the secret. Not the secret that everybody's been talking about, that secret. This secret is the kind that makes you sick. How many people here are in mental health, do specific, have done direct mental health treatment with folks? If you're not into, you know that the secrets make us sick, yes? Isn't it the secrets that cause people the pathology? Right? How long have white people had to hold this secret? How long and how many generations had to stop and pretend grandpa didn't do what he did? That the wealth we enjoy was not on the backs of some of these little girls. Think about how long one had to keep that secret. And the only thing you could do is either pathologize the other. It's all their fault because it certainly wasn't great granddad. Look how well he dresses. You understand what I'm saying? So this, when I say that this pathology goes hand in hand, I kid you not. Then you have science. And whenever we are in a process of trying to legitimize things, it's so amazing. You know, people always say this to me, even black people, when they hear about post-traumatic. Because you know it's not correct unless you can count it and measure it, right? Science is the, the final. It is the number one. If you can say it's scientific, then you basically trump everything else, right? Science determines reality. So if we can scientifically assert a thing to be true, then in fact it is true because it's scientifically proven. It's a scientific fact. Matter of fact, that's what people will tell you when you when you try to say to them, I don't know if I agree with you. You know, it's scientific. It's a scientific fact, what I'm saying here, right? Which somehow makes it what? True. And it's also in a book. Now let's do the math. It's in a book and it's scientifically proven. Did anybody here realize that recently we lost a planet? Anybody know what planet we lost? How you lose a planet? You know, I was, I became fond of the little picture with the, we lost the planet. We didn't lose a planet. You know what it means? Science was wrong. Now, have they ever said, you know, we were wrong about that planet thing? No, it's called a paradigm shift. So let's go to science. And I think it's important that we do. So we then, again, we go to someone named Carl von Linnaeus. Now, Carl von Linnaeus becomes an important character in this whole conspiracy of silence and legitimacy and removing the dissonance. Carl Vilanaeus developed a system based on a criterion of skin color and laid the basis for 19th century racial classification. Linnaeus properly began the science of anthropology. So here we have the father of anthropology. Although color classification of races dated back to the ancient Egyptians, anthropologists refer to Linnaeus's Systema Natura of 1735 as the first modern study of man. While Linnaeus advanced classification with his use of a color criterion, he also fixed on his four families of man certain moral and intellectual peculiarities that continued into the 19th century anthropological vocabulary. He described 
Homo Americanus. Who might that be? That would be Native American. American Indians. Homo Americanus. And what did he say about them? He said they were reddish, choleric, obstinate, contented, and regulated by custom. Homo Europaeus as white, fickle, sanguine, blue-eyed, gentle, and governed by laws. Homo Asiaticus, that'd be Asians, as sallow, grave, dignified, avaricious, and ruled by opinions. And Homo Afer, as black, phlegmatic, cunning, lazy, lustful, careless, and governed by caprice. These insights into what Linnaeus defined as racial character, personality traits, behavior, intelligence, language, and a host of other related categories were transmitted into subsequent attempts at a science of classification and became more fixed than the races themselves. Not a shred of science here. But it is in a book. And it's touted as science. And what's more important, you know, my students, I teach graduate students in, in social work. And I'll say, but Dr. Leary, my God, we're looking at 1707 to 1778. We are, right? After all. But do you not hear these same attributions today? You know, those blacks, they're lazy, you know, all of the exact same. Am I telling the truth? In your newspapers, in your accounts of them, do you not hear these very same things? So does it matter that it started in 1707 and 1778 and has no scientific merit? That's multi-generational, is it not? It's being passed along. Part of the swallowing into the social gullet. Those are the beliefs, you see. So it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. And Thank you, Carl von Linnaeus. Again, he's removing the cognitive what? Don't they deserve to be treated the way we treat them? Have we not just justified what we've done? After all, I just told you this is who they are. We're not wrong. We're just trying to keep the uh, domestic tranquility. What is this self-loathing that I see in contemporary black folks? I'm not going back to slavery. I'm talking about today who hate and despise the reflection in the mirror. That's what I wanted to know. So that's what led me on my journey, if you will. Again, not an unusual journey. In our, of course, I'm going to kind of pop back and forth through British history and American history. James Madison was a very important figure um, in American history, president of the United States, 1751-1836, he said blacks are inhabitants but as debased by servitude below the equal level of free inhabitants which regards the slave as divested of two-fifths of the man. This is the, um, this is called the, uh, the three-fifths compromise. And what they were trying to figure out uh, is what are we gonna do? How are we gonna, how are we gonna count these, these black folks? Because, you know, based on how many people you have residing in a particular state, the more representatives you can send to the House of Representatives and thus the more power that particular state can wield. 
So the question was, how do you count the slaves? Well, Southerners who, of course, enjoyed slavery, uh, they wanted to count them. They say, yeah, count them. That gives us more power. Where the Northerners saw it as an opportunity to abolish slavery, said, well, you can't count them because you don't consider them human. How can you count people who have absolutely no freedom that you do not count or be, treat as human beings? So the agreed upon solution is to count three-fifths of a state's total slave prop, you know, population. And so as a, as a result, they became three-fifths of a man divested of that. But it's almost as though you're not talking about a human being anymore. And that's what's scary about this. And I, and I always start my talks by saying that when you see folks dressed up like this, and I know y'all see a lot of them, you should get worried. I always get concerned when I see them dressed up like that, like this guy here. This next guy was, was someone that str I struggled with. You, you all know him, Richard Oswald. He's the son of a Presbyterian minister, international trader of enslaved Africans. What's so deep about this gentleman is how wealthy he became as a result. He would be worth, based on the 1700s, right now he would be worth 68 million. Based on the number of slaves, the slave trade and colonies, ships, all the stuff that he basically utilized. But again, uh, these folks are held in high regard. When I read about him in your history, one would, you would never know, Google him. You'd never know the ugly trade that he was engaged in because we've sanitized it, you see. It all got kind of sanitized. But what's important is to understand the wealth amassed. And see, this is where people get afraid, particularly Europeans. This is where the whole, oh my God, dare I say the big ugly word, most folks are afraid of, because we don't really care too much about the healing, the healing stuff, go on and get better, you people. But don't try to touch the resources. That would be reparations. We don't want to have that conversation. We're okay if you all go heal, <laughs> however you're going to do that. But mm, let's not talk about the reparations story. But when you start looking at the wealth amassed, then you've got to look at the Church of England. Mm, it gets real ugly because then you start realizing what is a foundation for the Church of England. Folks that bless the slave ships. And then of course, and this is interesting about uh, John Newton because we all know about, in every, the first thing you hear, John Newton, what's the next thing you hear? Amazing Grace. John Newton, Amazing Grace. Well, let's figure out what happened before he got Amazing Grace. He said slaves are lesser creatures without Christian souls and thus are not destined for the next world. Now what becomes important about this kind, and you'll see it both in American history as well, and there is this kind of dehumanization of African people. Because you gotta ask yourself this question, how do people who deem themselves superior, who see themselves as the civilizers, who recognize themselves as the, what we call manifest destiny, the white man's burden of civilizing all the rest of the, the races. How do you reconcile being the superior being and engaging in barbaric behavior? What that produces is something called cognitive dissonance. How many people are familiar with that? Cognitive dissonance is really thinking discord. It's when you begin to feel conflict between what you believe or understand or hold to be true, and you are then faced with behaviors, either in yourself or others, that conflict with your fundamental belief. It produces 
cognitive dissonance. Human beings don't function well with cognitive dissonance. You must remove the cognitive dissonance in order to function. So in order for people to perpetuate slavery and to perpetuate that whole system that lasts for centuries, you had to remove all dissonance associated with it. Can't be anything wrong with me. Certainly isn't us. We're the civilizers. We're the superior. So it must be them. Oh, yes. Well, you see, they don't even have souls. Now I can go to sleep because I'm not really dealing with the human being. Are you following me? Okay, let's see what else he said. He said, when the women and girls are taken on board a ship naked, trembling, terrified, they are often exposed to the wanton rudeness of white savages. The prey is divided upon the spot. Look at the choice of words, the prey. Resistance or refusal would be utterly in vain. And then he says, I sinned with a high hand. Yeah, and then he wrote Amazing Grace. <laughs> okay. So it's really important to understand what is this See, fam, this is what the young fellas, young fellas, this is why I put this out here for y'all. Because these older guys, these older, nah, these old heads up here, these, 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 these clowns, these for y'all young fellas to know and understand why the situation is. The Bible said, oppression make a wise man mad, but a gift destroys the heart. And you see all these black men and black women up in here, got all these good jobs and cars and what that, and they settle. For all our forefathers been through this mess of racism. That's why I say the earth is given to the, the hands of the wicked. Now, when you listen to what she said, this history, what she said, then what is your narrative? What is your outcome? What is your mindset? Because the Bible says this, but we don't want to understand it and we don't want to go with it. The earth is handed to the hands of the wicked. They cover the judges thereof. If it's not the white man and the white woman, then please, then please tell me who they are and where they at. Six, one, three. Strong Deacon. Strong Deacon. I can do the whole beat. I can do the whole beat like that. Look, this the gospel. This is God's flow. They have my whole team behind bars like the odd show. I'm unapologetic. You get no apologies. No heathen bastards are grafted into this olive tree. My people satisfied with a Coke and McDonald's lunch. Some think it's heaven sent with this president, Donald Trump. Now, as soon as he gets in office, I'm praying the market crashes. They use us and abuse us and shoot us with target practice. I went from vandalism straight to evangelism. I did this mess with your head like a tumor and aneurysm. And I ain't trying to ball like the Cleveland Cavaliers hooping. I brought more attention with Trump and Vladimir Putin. I'm killing the minds, and my people call me a therapist. And if you 
you can't get it, you wicked, and you a heretic. Take a look at history. Europeans are terrorists. They're at least a heresy that the Edomites are the Arabic. Now I adopt you, Jupiter. Then Lucifer falling from Jupiter. I'm surfing on the beat. Call me tubular. Never complacent maneuverer like a Uberer. They say my foes are bomb like Saddam because my shit is nuclear. It all seems right green light, so they murdered Jake. Because they know we the angels that fell from my first estate. They know. Elite see us waking up having a nervous break. So Kari, we the reason decreasing the murder rate. pipes and needles, I come from a lethal hood. Wake up, wake up, Jacob, I'm wishing my people would. They calling the righteous wicked, they calling the evil good. Lord, make my lyrics fire and all of these people would. No license, child support, and court suspensions. I support redemption. These are the things that I'm forced to mention. I am. They can stop the shit, but instead they endorse detention. My flow is out this world like I come from the fourth dimension. We need a program to critique this to Planned Parenthood. A woman number one with abortions at Planned Parenthood. The kings and princesses is in our genetic makeup. And me, I like them natural. Take off that synthetic makeup. And I can mess with girls in the world. It turns to a hell day. I caught a jail case and was witnessing to my cell mail. When they ask if heathens can make it, I give a stale face. I tell Jack, Israel only mentioned a 12 days. Doing a snail's race. Sakari voting like Usain. You have a why, you have a shot. Gotta mention the true name. I do change like Clark Kent when I'm in the booth. Tired of sluts in the world. I need a woman in the truth. I used to play with heavy artillery wearing vests. Now I'm piping to my people with spiritual clarinets. The head of speech we teach on the streets are like terrorist threats. And since I realized we're living in hell, I ain't scared to death. I swear I'm killing beats. I turn the booth to a murder scene. My flow is cracked. My fans are fiends. You'll think I'm serving cream. Six things without a curse. Every verse is clean. My flow is limitless. I'm venomous like I'm serpentine. Yeah. And yet how was shy is my dominance. And me, I'm just a conduit. This beat is so ominous. This is modern day Rome and Trump is Romulus. Yeah. The most high I wanna utilize you. And the fans wanna scrutinize you. Police wanna brutalize me. Police wanna crucify me. Try to euthanize me.